welcome to my podcast, Worlds Collide. I'm the host of the show, Victoria Doughton, and I talk with my international guests here in the show about the experiences they made in their new country versus their home country. Hey, in this episode I talk to Nate. He is originally from the suburbs of New Jersey in the US, but he left a decade ago and his new home country is now Morocco. We talk about his first reaction to Morocco when he arrived as a student, how his life with a Moroccan family was, about his struggles with a Moroccan Arabic in the beginning, why he doesn't like the US anymore, We talk about Ramadan and also a lot of other things that I didn't know about this wonderful sounding country. Yes, listen in. Here it is. Hi, Nate. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hi, Victoria. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm good. Thank you. So you are in Morocco. I am. That is so untypical. Like the opposite couldn't be greater. Yeah, it's a it's definitely different. Uh, I'm from uh, New Jersey in the USA, and it's a uh, very different from New Jersey. For sure. And how long have you been in Morocco now? Uh, so I first came to Morocco in 2009 um, as a uh, study abroad student. Okay. And I moved here full time in, I guess, 2012. Um, and I, uh, I took two years off to live in China um, and then came back to Morocco. And uh, yeah, so total, I've been here for uh, around 10 years. Wow, that's a long time. What was your uh, first reaction when you first came to Morocco? Um, my first reaction, uh, well, actually, my, my very first reaction, we landed in Casablanca. Uh, it was a study abroad program. It was my first time outside of North America. Uh-huh. How old were you then? Uh, 19, maybe. Okay, University pretty young. student. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty wild for me. Uh, and um, I got off the plane and uh, we, we piled into the, uh, into the taxis uh, to go from the airport uh, to, uh, to, to Rabat. And um, uh, at the time, they had these old Mercedes uh, sedan, four-door four cars, uh, taxis. They've since upgraded to like these minivan kind of okay. things. So they're much more comfortable. But they used to put... Uh, four people in the back seat and two in the front. Oh, oh, wait, that's like that's like yeah. two people too many. On yeah, very uncomfortable. Uh, and so, uh, so we're driving, um, just crammed into the back of this taxi, driving to uh, the capital to Rabat for you know an hour. And for some reason, there was a giant garbage fire. Like I don't know why, but they just. Uh, they just decided to burn trash for several kilometers down the side of the highway. Oh wait, it's such a big one. Like it was, it was enormous. It was like several minutes of driving past this garbage fire. So the smell must have been really nice too. It was, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great welcome to the country. I saw that and I was like, this is where I'm gonna settle down. How long were you supposed to stay then as a student? That one, uh, so I did an intensive language program here, and that was uh, four weeks. Then you learned Arabic? Yeah, so I was studying Arabic in university, and um, mm -hmm. uh, so I came to do an intensive Arabic language program, and then uh, 
uh, the following year, I did a normal uh, two semesters abroad plus uh, language programs. Okay. So it was a year. And you came with a bunch of other people from all over the world? Were you also exposed to um, the locals? Well, yeah. So I actually, um, the first time I was here, well, the first two times I was here as a student, well, the first two times I was here, I was a student and I was living with Moroccan families. Oh, okay. Doing a homestay. And uh, I made, you know, Moroccan friends in the neighborhood. I was living in the old city. Um, and uh, the families that I lived with had, you know, younger, younger sons my age. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it was it was cool. I got to hang out with them. Got to, you know, yeah. And what is like a day in a, a Moroccan family like? Uh, it depends. Uh, depends on the family. I mean, um, you know, it's pretty typical. Uh, you know, breakfast is a lot of carbohydrates and uh, uh, coffee and or tea. Uh -huh. um, have you ever been to Morocco? No, I've never. I mean, I only had friends visiting and I only know like the touristy part, you know, like people want to uh, sell you rugs or lamps. Yeah. And then I heard that there are a lot of stray cats. <laughs> yep. Yep. That too. Yeah, sure. And I think that's about what I, what I know really. I mean, I know where it is geographically. Sure. Yeah. It's a beautiful country. Well, I asked because uh, um, uh, tea, the mint tea is, uh, yeah, uh, every foreigner who visits Morocco learns about the mint tea and, and most likely. I mean, you can't even buy it here at Trader Joe's. Well, so you can't, you, yeah, it's not the same. The version of it, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you really what it is. It's just, it's just Chinese green tea uh -huh. uh, and you boil that. And then you add just a handful of mint into the pot and boil that. And then you add sugar. Yeah, lots of sugar, right? It's very sweet, isn't it? Lots of sugar. Very, very sweet. sweet. But yeah. But those those like pre uh pre-mixed like tea bags with like that, it's like mint tea. It, that's not that's not what you want to do. You wanna you wanna just No, you have to have fresh mint, fresh right? Mint and just boil it in with the tea. Yeah. Yeah, it is delicious. Yeah, yes. yeah it's great. Uh, so yeah, so breakfast and then go to work, go to school. Um, yeah, uh, pretty typical, um, home by, you know, five or six. Yeah. Then, uh, hang out with the family. Dinners are late. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was a little bit, you know, difficult to get used to that, you know. What is late? What do you mean? Dinner time at 9, 10 p.m. 10 p.m. Yes, yeah. that is late. In comparison here, we have it at 6.30. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. you know or a seven but yeah. i mean seven in you know in new jersey for my family seven was a late dinner like five was dinner time and uh yeah. oh at five okay yeah that is early because like when i would eat at five i would be hungry again by bedtime yeah yeah see and i actually prefer that um because i don't i don't like to be full when i go to bed you know i don't sleep well oh okay yeah sure But here they they'll have like uh, they'll have tea at around five. You know, if you when you come home from school or come home from work, maybe you'll make tea and like some some uh, cookies or you know some bread, more yeah. carbohydrates, and then uh, and then wait until your dinner at nine or ten p.m. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, um, I think a lot of countries around the world do the dinner really late. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'd, I'd actually be interested to know uh, how universal that is, because I, I think that's a thing in the Mediterranean, at least, right? Like in Spain. Yeah, in Spain, yeah. too. And in Turkey, yeah. too. Yes, I know from those two countries that it's pretty late. And we in Germany, I would say six is probably early, but usually around seven, you have dinner. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah. I don't love it. I like to eat earlier. But, uh, you know, what can you do? Okay, so you always have to, like, wait and you're hungry already before it, it's on. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, at that time, yeah. Um, now I, I, I do it, you know. Do you live by yourself now? Well, I'm married, so my wife mm -hmm. and I. Um, my wife is Moroccan. Um, okay. And she, uh, she doesn't mind eating a little bit on the earlier side. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll, we'll usually try to have dinner around, you know seven or eight so is morocco in the bigger cities pretty modern or is it very uh conservative so yeah there's a couple of ways to answer that question so as far as modern goes so it depends so are we talking in terms of development in terms of like social norms for example i mean like more It's a Muslim country, so I was yeah. wondering if it's very based on the on that. Yeah, I mean, not really, right? So, kind of. So, people here are very personally conservative, mm -hmm. but they're very kind of socially liberal okay. in the way that, like, in the meaning of liberal, where it's like, you do your thing, you live and let live, right? You do your thing and you let other people do their yes, thing. Yes, how it should be. Right. Yeah. So, like, I have tattoos on my arms. Um, nobody's ever said something to me about tattoos, except one time when I was on the street and, uh, uh, like, a 90-year-old, I mean, she, must, well, she probably wasn't 90, but an 80-year-old probably at least, Amazigh woman, the Berber woman, came up to me and, you know, pointed at my tattoos and gave me a thumbs up and rolled up her sleeves and showed me her tattoos. Oh, I did not expect that. I thought, like, you're gonna get stupid comment. No, because um, uh, in the, so the, the indigenous population here are, mm -hmm. the, are the Berbers, right? The, the Amazigh people. And uh, they traditionally do tattoos. Oh, okay. Very cool. Uh, and so among the older generation, you can still see face tattoos. Um, uh, that tradition is dying out a little bit. I see. Yeah, I did not know that either. Very cool. So, I mean, people just have this attitude of like, you live your life. And as long as you're not hurting me or, you know, uh, doing something bad to me, it's fine. Mm -hmm. um, people, most people like don't drink alcohol, for example. But yeah. um, as long as you're not being a drunken nuisance in public, nobody really cares if you drink alcohol. Yeah. So, yeah. And how long did it take you to be comfortable with the language? So the first time uh, I came to Morocco, uh, I, was I was studying classical Arabic. Uh, standard Arabic is, is really what it's called, modern standard Arabic. And that's, that's the, the, the standardized version used across North Africa and the Middle East. But it's not anybody's native language. Uh, mm -hmm. People speak dialects as native languages. And depending on where you are, it can be a completely different dialect. And so Moroccan, Moroccan Arabic has no 
relation to modern standard Arabic. Okay. I mean, maybe not none, but like they are not mutually intelligible. Like very little. Very little. So uh, my first, you know, my first several months in Morocco was trying to speak to people in standard Arabic and not understanding a word of response that I got. And they didn't understand you either, probably. Uh, if they had education, they did, um, uh-huh. but not all of them did have education. And so, you know, if I get into a taxi, like there's, it's not, there's no guarantee that the taxi driver is even really going to know what I'm saying. And, but even if they did understand me, I just sounded silly. It's like, and what did you do then? I just, I learned the Moroccan dialect. Okay. Um, cause, uh, there's just no, you know. That's that's just what you have to do. Um, and this was before a lot of people spoke English. Okay. The uh, so French is the 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 language of the colonizers, right? Everybody speaks French. It's a francophonic country. Um, I just read that in the bigger cities, you come pretty far with English. Yeah. In in recent years, um, people uh, have started learning English a lot more. Uh, and it's it's noticeable, even from 2009 to now, it's noticeable how many more people speak uh, at least some English. Ten uh, years ago, I would have told you, if you don't know French, at least, or Arabic, you're going to have a difficult time in Morocco. Now you can get by on just English. Okay. So yeah, it was awkward. And, uh, and uh, people would um, look at me like I was, you know, walking around speaking like Shakespeare. It was, it was very... <laughs> That's a good comparison. Yeah, it was. I, I looked super, super weird. <laughs> You're like the the king. <laughs> yeah, just like speaking in a super like. I, I mean, very formal. Very formal, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And people are like, yeah. And how long did it take you to um to learn the accent? Then I would say my second time when I did semesters abroad here, um, I started living with a Moroccan family speaking, like knowing no uh, Moroccan um, derija. And after, by the time I left a year later, I was pretty fluent. So I, I would say about a year. I mean, I'm still learning. Okay, that is pretty fast, I would say. I'm still learning, obviously, like you never get perfect, but yeah. And what was your um, interest about Arabic um, in the first place? I'm actually kind of bad at learning languages. And uh, I, was, I was terrible with Spanish in high school. And uh, when I got to university, they said, you just, you have to learn a language. You have to study a language for at least, I think it was four semesters, maybe. And uh, so I was like, okay, well, I don't want to do Spanish again. French, not really interested. I was like, all right, Arabic, it's there. Why not? Then that was it. And then you kind of liked it. Yeah. And then that's how you ended up in Morocco. Yeah. It was a random decision that totally changed my life. I could have picked Chinese. I could have picked Russian. I could have picked, uh, you know, Latin or Greek. I mean, you know, but. Uh, that is so so unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought first, maybe you have a parent that is from from Morocco or some nope. family? It was just a completely random, just, you know, what am I going to study? I, you know, I was studying politics. I studied political science. So I thought maybe, you know, learn Arabic and maybe work in, you know, international politics or something. And uh, do you do that? No, I don't because yeah. <laughs> politics is a, a soulless uh, endeavor, which just 
saps happiness from people. I got three years into a four-year political science degree and realized I don't ever want to work in politics. So, uh, Is there anything American in Morocco? Like, do you have, for example, like the food chains there? Uh, yeah, McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Starbucks. Starbucks is, uh, yeah, it's um, in the last so in the last few years, Starbucks has started to pop up. Uh, there's uh, at least one Burger King that I know of still waiting on Taco Bell. <laughs> there's uh, a knockoff of Subway called Sandway, which is uh, not comparable. But you know, I mean, you know, it's it is actually this way in a lot of the world. But in uh, in Morocco, McDonald's, uh, also KFC, are very kind of like upper class kind of like prestigious almost like if you're if you're like a young bougie kid and you want to like take a girl out on a date and impress her take her to mcdonald's that's a slam dunk like in america you would die alone it's like uh no yeah like i hate it when my kids want to go to mcdonald's Oh, it's like, oh, really? Do you want to eat the worst food ever? <laughs> yeah, it's garbage food in America. Yeah. And is it though? Does it taste different in Morocco? Yeah, I mean, it's different. I think it it's different. I think in every country, but in in Morocco, I mean, I haven't eaten McDonald's in many countries, but uh, in Morocco, it's 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 much better. I think it tastes just cleaner. Interesting. But yeah, it's like a, it's like an upper middle class status meal. And how do people react to you when they learn that you're from America? So people here are super friendly and um, Morocco. So Morocco was the first country to recognize the U.S. as an independent country. Um, okay. The Moroccan-American Friendship Treaty is America's uh, oldest diplomatic treaty. I did not know that. Yeah. So, and every Moroccan knows that, and they are very happy to point that out to me when I meet them for the first time. They're they're very happy with their relationship with America. Morocco has a really good relationship with America, and they always like to uh, point it out. Yeah, they love. I mean, that specific factoid is like one of the things that people always tell you uh, here. And um, the U.S. and Morocco have a really long um, uh, and friendly relationship. Uh, I mean, people here don't love the American government all that much, but, you know, neither do I, so yeah. it's fine. Um, but they like American people. And actually, Americans have, have a good reputation personally in Morocco, right? Like Morocco's economy is based on tourism and American tourists are kind of seen as among the best tourists, I think. Ah, oh, why is that? So in, in Europe, there are very kind of like rigid, like social classes. There's like a rigid social class structure, mm -hmm. right? So if you're like, if you're like upper class, you're upper class and you know it. Whereas I think in America, people are more willing to like, you know, if you're like a rich guy, you're still polite to the waiter at the restaurant, right? Or Oh, that's what you mean. If you're like super high class or super high status, you're still supposed to be polite to the the service staff wherever you are. Okay, okay. Right, and so I've talked to a lot of like people at hotels and like servers and and you know taxi drivers who say like 
Europeans, you know, no offense, but Europeans can be a little bit rude sometimes. They kind of like look down on us, like we're just, you know, service, but like Americans are much more friendly and gregarious. Oh, I thought maybe it has to do also with the tipping culture. That might also be part of it. No, Europeans don't tip and Americans tip really well. That might also be part of it. Yeah, sure. And um, sure, I think at least I can say for Germans, they always come along very friendly. We don't say a lot of uh, please and thank you. Yeah. Versus Americans always, sorry, sorry, sorry. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Like, all the time. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it's like to the point where it gets uncomfortable. Like when my dad visits Morocco, he'll just be like, the waiter at the cafe speaks a little English and he's now he's just like chatting him up. And it's like that he has he has a job to do. Uh -huh. Let this guy do his job. Like he's from here. Yeah. You don't need to ask him. So is your dad was he then surprised that like people talk English? Yeah, a little bit. So my dad likes to travel, so he's come to Morocco like a bunch of times. Uh in fact he came to Morocco back in like the back in the seventies maybe. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, uh, he, when he came back um, a few years ago, uh, after COVID actually was the first time he was in Morocco since the 2000, early 2000 teens or so, right? And he was surprised um, at how much people are speaking English, how much this country has developed just in the last, you know, five or 10 years. Okay. We rode on the train from uh, Tangier uh, to, to Casablanca. Um, the new high-speed train, and it's, I mean, it's nicer than any train in America. It's, its you know, yeah. 350 kilometers an hour. Uh, it's beautiful. It's quiet. And he was he was surprised to, uh, to see that. I mean, I wish there would be trains here or any public transportation. How is it there? Do you have public transportation? So the, the, the tram, uh, there's a tram in, uh, in Rabat and Casablanca, which is, you know, it's all right. It's nice. It's fine. I mean, public transportation isn't great. We just got new buses, which are very nice and comfortable. But uh, the, the rail network is pretty good and getting better. I mean, this high-speed train is great. And I, I was going to say, you know, you coming from Europe, right, like, You know, Europe does high-speed trains. And, yeah. Uh, I wonder if you noticed the difference in America, like the, just the lack of high-speed rail. The the lack of rail in general. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are freight trains. Just to get like from one city to the other, um, it is inconvenient and too expensive. And there is the schedule doesn't work. I don't know. I think there needs a lot to be done for it to be more attractive that people want to use it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in some places in, in the US uh, where, you know, like I'm thinking of like the Northeast where I'm from. It's like you could have, you know, uh, an efficient high speed rail system that would connect these huge cities, you know, New York yeah. and Philadelphia and Washington, but also with their smaller, you know, uh, you know, kind of suburban areas, but you don't have them. And so what are your options if you want to get from suburban New Jersey into New York City? It's like pay $40 and ride on New Jersey Transit or drive. Yes, exactly. No, you're so dependent on your car here, especially in suburbia. Exactly. Or you're going to fly from, you know, New York to Washington, and then it's just a whole other level of headaches. That is even not far. You know, it, with a car, it would be, what, a three and a half hour drive or something? Yeah. 
And so there should be like other ways than flying for a short distance like that. Exactly. And, you know, good rail and especially high speed rail is so it's so nice. Yeah, I don't know. It's like a very frustrating topic um, here in our house, okay. um, public transportation in general. Yeah. You know, it, and, and actually that's something I've noticed uh, when I talk to Americans because, um, you know, people in America, like you don't know what you're missing until you experience it and then go back and don't have. So like Americans, like they don't get the joy of public transit yeah and i've lived in places where there is good public transit and like good public transit is so nice so i'm in the austin area and they're building okay. yeah they're building like um like a streetcar but it's not running on weekends <laughs> like if people want to go to the city to whatever go to a restaurant or drink or party you still need your car it's stupid yeah it's a positive on so many other levels they don't put a schedule on for the weekends it's only for um, only for the workforce, kind of. Right. That's that's really frustrating. When I was um, living in China, um, I mean, they have more high speed rail than uh, the rest of the world combined, and so it was it was great because it was like, you know, the trains run three hundred fifty kilometers an hour, which basically means you can get halfway across yep. the country in you know three hours. Um. But our rule was, if the train was less than six hours, take the train. If it's more than six hours, fly. But it's a long distance when they're so fast. It's so it's such a long distance. I, I only had to fly once in China, and that was literally going to the other side of the country. Yeah. But just like dealing with airports and, you know, security and baggage and all that, just take the train. And in the U.S., there's just not that option. Um, I took the train in Germany two years ago. I was going from my hometown to Berlin. And I was by myself with two little kids and lots of baggage. So I had, like, no free hands. And I was, like, freaking out about it. But people are so nice and helpful. Like, it was no problem. And then you can sit in the family compartments. And you're just like surrounded with other families and people come by and they bring you drinks. It's like, um, it's like service like you have in a plane. And it was so comfortable, you know, it's like way better than driving. It's so nice. It's so nice. I could talk about this for hours. I, I hate driving culture. I love public transportation and the U.S. really needs to figure something yeah. out uh, with, you know, a, a, a modern rail system. And it's, you know, it's embarrassing again, right? Like when when my dad got onto the train in Morocco, the high speed train, and it was nicer and faster and, you know, than any train in America. It's like, you know, it really kind of puts into perspective how the U.S. is uh uh, has a lot of work to do in, in some areas. So now you're there for 10 years. Do you still sometimes struggle with the cultural differences? Occasionally. There's not much. You seem like a really chill guy. So it doesn't, on my first impression, it doesn't seem that you get frustrated in public or like freak out about those things. Yeah, I'm pretty good at going with the flow. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, yeah. And I've, I've seen most of it, right? Like when it, when it comes to just like cultural differences, I've encountered most of it at this point. Um, 
some things do frustrate me, but it's not it's not that I like don't know about them or, or haven't encountered them before. It's just like I just can't I I just I refuse to get used to it. One of them is that um, so in Morocco you never say no to your parents. So if my wife's parents call us at 8.30 in the morning on a Sunday morning and say, hey, we're coming now, you say, okay, welcome, you know? Whereas like, uh-huh. and, but like in the US, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's like Sunday morning. Like, Stay in bed, just relax all day. But like, I mean, but like in the US, right? Like, you know, you call ahead. Hey, dad, like, you know, I'd like to see you this weekend. When are you free? When's good for you? Yeah. How's Sunday morning? No, that's not good. You make plans really far ahead, yes. Exactly, exactly. But here it's just like, hey, we're coming. Be ready here right now. Be ready. It's like, okay, cool, great. So that's that's one that I, I don't love. That's about it. Uh, not, not queuing. Oh, um, so how do they just, whoever gets first, whoever wins the battle? Chaos, yeah. Whoever wins the battle is chaos it's yeah i don't i don't love that one i i think i think people are starting to queue up more now uh in recent years but uh yeah it's still and we talked about public transportation so what about driving do they follow the rules <laughs> no rules what <laughs> rules um no actually i was so i was here uh back in um i think it was 2010 or 2011 they they tightened up the traffic rules uh and they like increased penalties for traffic violations Pre-2010 or so, it was pandemonium. <laughs> like, red lights meant nothing. <laughs> okay. You just, you just like, go through. Uh, since then, things have gotten better. I mean, some people still just, like, you know, old habits die hard. Sure, yeah. Now, almost 15 years on, you know, people are kind of, you know, much more ordered when driving. How did they make a change? Uh, they they increased penalties and they... they uh, okay, sure. With money, yeah. yes. Because they, uh-huh. they had the infrastructure, they had the, the signals, the lights, the, the signs and everything, but you just didn't pay attention to them. And then they just said like, hey, this is unsustainable. The penalty is now higher and we will pull you over and write you a ticket And they did it and people, you know, they, they enforced compliance. Okay. And how often do you visit home? Not very often. Um, I don't really like being in America and, um, uh, I have a family that likes to travel and, uh, my dad is fairly wealthy. So, you know, fortunately, you know, traveling for him is not a big, uh, financial burden. Um, so, Mm -hmm. You know, my my family would rather hang out in Morocco or meet up in Europe somewhere than. Okay, then you have to visit them. Exactly. And whenever you go, um, do you struggle then with the culture, like with the American culture, because you're adjusted to the other? Yeah, reverse culture shock hits me hard. You know, the two the two examples from my uh, most recent time back in the U.S. that just really hit me. Um, one is just like the kind of like rampant, unbridled consumerism, right? Like you walk into like the, the local large supermarket and there's, you know, a thousand choices for peanut butter. Yeah. And it's just overwhelming. And I actually uh, a friend of mine in Morocco wanted me to bring back a bottle of barbecue sauce. 
And it took me like 20 minutes. It was like of just like staring at the rack of barbecue sauce. Like, I don't even know what to do with this. Yeah. And that is that is a little overwhelming for me. I prefer also going to the smaller stores where you don't have all these choices. Exactly. And like, like here, you know, things are becoming more available. So, you know, you can get barbecue sauce, but there's like two or three different options. And it's nice. It's like, okay, this one is good. This one, not so much. Cool. I'm going to buy this one. It's simple. It's nice. And then the other, the other thing that really messes me up is, um, so, so my, my Arabic is good. But if I'm going to like eavesdrop on conversations happening around me, I have to concentrate. I have to focus. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm standing in line at the supermarket and I'm not paying attention, I just hear white noise. I don't I don't get the conversation around me unless I like try. Yeah. In the US, right, as a native English speaker, it's just I can't turn it off. Everything. I understand everything. And I understand conversations happening on the other side of the store that I don't even want to. And it's like, it's overload. So you don't, you don't want all this information. I want it to be quiet again. Like I just, I, you know, I want to like put in noise canceling headphones and just not hear what people are saying. Yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, I I don't know if you've experienced this uh, in your time living abroad is like people don't care like about your interesting experiences yeah you know yeah i know they always pretend but really they don't want to know about it oh how was your two years in china oh it was super interesting great cool okay yeah Mm -hmm. let's move on yeah 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 for sure Uh And, and yeah and and then especially with like friends when like you want to tell them because you want them to be part of your life but they don't really want to hear about it because they don't like have anything to compare it to. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, China is just like, again, like China is just like a super interesting country. And I had, you know, loads of really interesting experiences there and, you know, try to tell my friends about it in the U S and they just, they just don't, but they're not interested. So that's, that's so sad. Kind of, right. It kind of is, but you know, my country is, you know, my home country is Morocco. And so when I go back to the US, for me, it's, you know, it's visiting, it's an annoying uh, vacation, I have to go on every few years to, you know, make my cousins happy, right? Okay. How long did it take you until you called Morocco your home? Maybe, maybe a year or two. Oh, so that was pretty quick. It was pretty quick. You know, I never really felt like, comfortable in America. I think, and I don't know why that is, and I, I still don't. I've never known why, but you know, I got I got accustomed to Morocco pretty quickly, and yeah, I mean, it's a weird country, but I like it. <laughs> good, <laughs> good. It's always good to like where you are. Oh, yeah. How do you adjust to the weather? I imagine it's super hot in Morocco. Um, in the interior. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. I live in Rabat, uh, which is on the coast. So we pretty consistently have uh, a nice breeze from the ocean. Um, But yeah, like Fez and Marrakesh in the summer can get uh, oppressively hot. But at least in like Marrakesh, it's it's dry. Uh, I know in a lot of places in the US, it's, it's a very damp, very wet heat. Not nice. I hate that. No, I guess Texas is probably pretty dry, though, right? No, it's so humid. Oh, my God. 
It's okay. like you're sweating all the time. <laughs> you step outside and you're wet. Immediately. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. It's getting flashbacks to summers in New Jersey. Yeah, Houston is worse than Austin, but to me, this is already like yeah. not likable. Yeah, that's fair. So what do you really miss? Um, not much. <laughs> Friends and family. But other than that, not much. Um, there was a time when I missed, like, being able to, like, you know, I don't know, eat food from around the world. Okay, so you only have more, like, local food? N no, but not even. Like, in the last five or six years, um, international options have been popping up. You know, I can get Chinese food, really good Chinese food, actually. Uh um, you know, sushi and uh, there's a really great Indian restaurant um, not far from where I live, Thai and Spanish and, you know, Mexican. And yeah, I mean, just, you know, there's so many more options now than in the past. I mean, yeah. not as many as in America, but there was a time when if I was like craving a burrito, I would have to like make it myself. And now Now there's like three or four different places I can get like a burrito. So honestly, since that has been improving, uh, there's really not much I miss about America at all, to be honest. So there's no reason for you to go back. No reason. Literally no reason. Yeah. yeah. Then that means you must really like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great it's a great place to be. Do you usually hang out with the Moroccan crowd or do you have some American friends? I have a mix. Like I told you, my wife is Moroccan. Um, mm -hmm, yeah. My best Moroccan friend, my, my best friend in Morocco is Moroccan, although uh -huh. actually he now lives in Germany. So. Oh, funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, I don't have a lot of American friends, actually. Most of my foreign friends are Brits. There's a lot of Brits here. You know, and that's one of the things I love about about living abroad is just having friends from around the world you know um, that's true yeah you know. we have that too like our, our friends circle is very international yeah yeah absolutely um but yeah i mean I, a mix of of moroccan and foreign friends um the non-moroccans right there's a little bit more of i think a sense of camaraderie just because like we're all like foreigners in this country and so we all kind of look out for each other a little bit more and you always have something in common right you you already know like there's already a connection somehow exactly right like uh on you know uh, whatever whatever holiday thanksgiving or christmas or whatever and i your entire family is together back in your home and you are here so let's hang out and let's all get together exactly yeah Did you have to adjust for uh, Ramadan? Yeah, well, it's is right now actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so uh, um, Ramadan is well, it's getting easier because uh, because of the lunar calendar, it's not the same time every year, right? So it's mm -hmm. it's getting yeah. uh, earlier in the year by like two weeks. So my first few Ramadans in Morocco was like in the summer. And so, you know, long days and hot and no food or water. And it was uh, very difficult. Um, now, you know, the days are shorter and cooler. It's actually cold today. It's not so hard. Not not nearly as hot. Do you follow it too? Yes, I do. I do. Mm -hmm. yeah. When did you start adapting to that? Well, I started going, started fasting like fully maybe five years ago. 
But Mm -hmm. really, I mean, if you're living in Morocco full time, you are you're going to be fasting during Ramadan to some extent. Right. Like unless you're a complete jerk, you're not going to be eating and drinking in front of Moroccans. And unless you're unemployed, you're not going to be sitting at home during Ramadan. So like, you know, even even for people who are not fasting during Ramadan, like they leave their house in the morning and don't eat or drink all day. And and, you know, it's so, you know, to an extent, everybody, every foreigner kind of adapts to to Ramadan a little bit. Did it help you to be married to a Moroccan woman in terms of the Ramadan? Well, yeah, I mean, that's nice because uh, she's a really good cook. No, okay. uh, and she's really good at cooking Moroccan food. And um, Yeah, you make really nice feasts, right? When you eat, you eat really nice. Oh, they're nice. Yeah. Um, so Moroccan food is delicious. My wife is a really good cook. And um, we take turns. Uh, depending on, on, you know, we're both now working full time. Mm -hmm. So uh, we kind of switch on and off, you know, some days she'll cook and I'll do the dishes. And then some days I'll cook and she'll do the dishes. Mm -hmm. But I always like uh, when it's her turn to cook, because I really like, I I mean, I love Moroccan food, uh, especially during Ramadan. There's a lot of like special, uh, special foods that uh, you don't really make throughout the year. And yeah, it's really nice. Do women have to dress up differently in Morocco, though? No, no. And actually, my my father's wife had this um, had this question when she first came to to Morocco uh, uh, about a year ago. You know, uh, what's the dress code? And I I told her, you know, suburban New Jersey middle aged you know white woman is pretty much conservative dress in Morocco. I mean. That's conservative, like, you know, especially especially in like the bigger cities like uh, like Rabat and Casablanca. I mean, in like more conservative cities and more conservative neighborhoods, it might be a little bit different. But yeah, I mean, half of the people don't wear a headscarf anyway. Mm, okay. You know, skirts and short shorts and yoga pants. And the new the new trend is um, is crop tops. Uh, oh, here, too. Yeah. Here, too sounds very western very western and honestly probably less conservative than a lot of places in america yeah <laughs> yeah yeah or i mean even i mean even you know the suburbs yeah the suburbs right? like, yes. i i've had i've had students show up in classes wearing outfits that like if they walked into like my public school in America, they would get a reputation. Uh-huh. You know? And it's like, there is that idea about Morocco and it's just not that way. I mean, wear whatever you want. Yeah, that's what I assume too. And though if you have to go to like a religious place, you would need to dress up differently though. Yeah, but... uh, if you like uh, go into a mosque, you know, you're expected Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? But yeah, that's yeah, sure. pretty much the only the only one I think. Let me tell you, uh, let me give you one anecdote. Uh, a few years ago during the Trump administration, so it was maybe it was pre-COVID, maybe 2017 or 18. And uh, I'm in the, the port in Tangier, uh, about to take a boat over to Spain for a few days. And um, 
I'm I'm uh, exchanging money in the port, and uh, the there's two police officers uh, there listening to the radio. Um, I had my passport out because you need to show your passport to exchange money, right? And uh, so the in the radio, um, uh, who should start speaking? But Donald Trump comes on. <laughs> And the two police officers look over at me and I look over at them and we lock eyes for about half a beat. And then we all just burst into laughter, just uproarious laughter uh-huh. at how crazy it is that this man is president. Yeah. And I'm sitting there laughing with two Moroccan police officers. Yeah, that sums it up. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, nice to talk yeah, to you. Yeah, it was really nice to talk to you. Cool. Uh, gonna start uh, preparing our uh, our ftor, our uh, our uh, end of fast meal. So. Okay, you enjoy that very much. I think Nate gave us a pretty good insight of his life in Rabat. He and his wife talk a mix of Arabic and English at home. It's about a 50-50 mix, he said. And by the way, Nate is working as a teacher in Rabat. And another cool fact that I found out is Morocco was the first country on the African continent that built a high-speed railway. And in case you missed it, I will put the recipe for the Moroccan mint tea on our Instagram page. This is where you can also reach out to me in case you want to be a guest on the show or if you know somebody who wants to be a guest on the show. Or you can also reach out to me via email at worldscollide123pod at gmail.com. I'm looking forward to your mail and I'm looking forward to host the next episode of Worlds Collide next week. See you then.